Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to John, the 11th chapter. We're going to be in there this morning. Um, want to give us a, a shout out to uh, the men. Hey guys, this is the week we're starting that men's home gathering. Uh, um, less of us, more of him basically. And so if you haven't signed up, see uh, Pastor uh, Brian right here. Brian, raise your hand. You can talk to him after services if you're interested to know, you know where you can go, where you can get plugged in there. Um, there's a lot happening. I know women are having a study. They started their study already. So women, you could jump on and there's a different campuses and stuff. Guys, there's always a place somewhere where you can grow. Grow in the Lord, grow in your faith, uh, grow in your walk with God. Um, you cannot do it alone. You have to do it in community. That's why he set the church. That's why he set people around. So I just want to encourage you with that. We're in John, the 11th chapter, looking at verses 28 to 44 this morning. My message title is Jesus the Miracle Worker. I, I, I was thinking about the song, Maria, you sang this morning. The title should be Show Us Your Glory as we sang that song today, because I think that exactly fits the text that we're going to get into uh, this morning. You know, it's, it's very difficult to hard, to, uh, hard to understand the mind of God. In fact, there's a story about a wise man living in a vast frontier, and, and one day his son's horse ran away, and he was taken by nomads uh, across the border. And everybody tried to console uh, this young man, for, his, for the, his bad misfortune. But his father said this as a wise man, what makes you sure, makes you, what makes you so sure this is not a blessing? Months later, the horse returned, bringing with her a magnificent stallion. This time, everyone was full of congratulations for the son's good fortune. And, but the father, the wise man, the father, the wise man said, what makes you sure this isn't a disaster? Their household was made richer by this fine horse, and the son loved to ride, but one day he fell off the horse, broke his hip, and once again, everyone offered their consolation for his bad luck. But again, the wise father said, what makes you so sure that this is not a blessing? A year later, nomads invaded uh, across the border, and everyone, able-bodied man, was required to take up his bow and go to battle, but the families living on the border lost nine out of every ten men, only because the son's lame did his father and son survive and take care of each other? So what appeared like a blessing and success often turns out for the worse. So what appeared to be a setback works out for the good. I think what, that's exactly what you see in this story, right? What appeared as a loss is actually a blessing in disguise. When we look at the death of Lazarus, and we've been looking at his story the last couple of weeks, Jesus is waiting outside of Bethany. Remember, he had been in the Jordan, been doing a miracle. People come and get saved. People are getting saved, and he hears about the sickness of Lazarus, and so he waits a couple of days. By the time he leaves, Lazarus is dead. By the time he starts arriving toward Bethany, but he's outside the city, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And it's here, um, he has his first personal encounter uh, with Martha. We looked at that last week, this encounter with Martha there. And now we see Martha is going to Mary and saying, Jesus is calling you. Go go meet with Jesus. He wants to have an encounter uh, with you. He wants to have a secret conversation. Jesus had just made a, a declaration. He said that I am the resurrection and the life to Martha. 
Now in this story, he's going to prove that he is the resurrection and the life. So I want to read that this morning in John chapter 11, starting in verse 28, to hear the whole story and understand where we're going this morning. It says this, and when he had said these things, when he she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary, rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say that you, did I say that you, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hands and foot, grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the work you're going to about to do. I believe this morning you want to loosen some people. Father, I believe some this morning you want to heal some people. I believe some... This morning, you want to deliver some people. And so, Lord, I'm praying and been praying. And, Father, I'm coming to you this morning as you're going to have people hearing your word because it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that lessens our bondage and the things that hold us back. And so I pray that as I go through your word, that you would wash us with your word by your spirit, that you would speak to us through your word, Lord. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit this morning would speak and that we would hear. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to look at a couple things this morning. First of all, Jesus' secret rendezvous with Mary. We see that here in verses 28 to 32. It's fun to receive invitations, right? We, we, we get uh, invitations that get sent to us to be a guest, whether it's for parties or a wedding or a graduation. And when we receive an invitation, it's an honor to us. We feel blessed that we've been considered for such an occasion because we've been invited to a, a, a special occasion. Though this is not a happy occasion in the story, Mary will get the attention for a brief moment with an audience of one, which is Jesus. The one who created the heavens, the earth, and the sea. The one who is known as the Ancient of Days, the sustainer of life, and is the resurrection of life. God is calling Mary, Mary to have an encounter with him as he had an encounter with Martha. 
And, it's a, and we find that it's a, a secret encounter. It's a secret invitation from a rabbi. Look at verses 28, 29. And when she had said these things, what things, believing that he is who he says he is, she responded to that in verse 27. I believe you, God. I believe in you. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came. We know that Martha, in the verses previously, had a, a private encounter with Jesus, and she wanted her sister to have the same because she loved her sister. And God's going to have that, right? Right after Martha's confession in verse 27, she secretly calls Mary to come to Jesus. Though Mary and Martha had their moments together, had their disagreements together, had their you know, sibling rivalry together, even with the brother, she loved her sister and knew that she needed to have an encounter with the king. I think that Jesus is calling her because Jesus knows her need at this very moment, just like Jesus knows our need at this very moment. He knows the secret needs in our hearts. He knows the secret struggles that we battle. He knows that all the things that are within, he knows and he will call us to him to deal with those secret things in our lives. Everything, we were born naked and everything is naked before God. And yet God still loves us, right? And so he's calling Mary to him because she knows what she needs. We never come to Christ until Christ comes to us. God is calling Mary for this special moment because she needed time with the teacher. The teacher is calling her. The word here can be translated, teacher can be translated rabbi. Some translations even say the master is calling you in some of your Bibles. She needed some solitude with God. She had been mourning. She was at home um, with the mourners. Martha had just coming back. When, when Jesus called Martha, she went, but Mary stayed back by herself. Very interesting that Jesus would call Mary or Martha, because in that tradition, in the culture, teachers or rabbis would never have moments with women alone. It wasn't allowed in that culture, but yet Jesus would always break down those walls. Meeting with the woman, the Samaritan woman, right? Meeting with Mary Magdalene. Meeting with many women to minister to their needs. He, he would shatter all those things. He would shatter all those things in order to have encounters with these ladies, and he's doing the same thing with, with Mary because she needed time with the teacher. Jesus is calling us because he wants time with us. He wants time with us. He wants personal time for us because he knows that we need some things. We need some spiritual healing. We need some emotional healing. He, he knows what we need. He's aware of what we need and, and the things for our well-being. And I think Jesus, even though he's outside the city of Bethany, he knows Mary's demeanor. She knows what's, she's troubled. She knows her heart because God knows all things. She knows she's the clinging type, right? It's always at the feet of Jesus. She's the, the clinging type, right? And so we know as she runs, she leaves, and she comes to Jesus outside the city, as soon as he sees him and Jesus sees her, 
she falls to his feet. She falls to her feet. She came quickly, Jesus is calling. She obediently got up and left, and she waited, wasted no time to come to Jesus. Think about your life. How much time did you waste before you came to Jesus? How, what things did you do before you came to Jesus? What wasted life did you have before you came to Jesus? Because he's calling. He's always calling. And she came. But Jesus had a, a strategic move at this time. You see that in verse 30, right? It says this, now Jesus had not yet come into the town. He had not come into Bethany, but it was in the place where Martha met him. What was his delay in entering the city? He, why did he remain outside the city after Martha's conversation? It could have been very easily that Martha could have led Jesus into the city where Mary was. Jesus was very familiar where the house was. He had visited it often. He would stop there often in his travelings. the So it wasn't like he didn't know the place, but he still stayed outside the city. Why did he do that? What's been going on up to this point? The Jews wanted him dead. They had a hit out on him. They wanted to kill him. You remember the conversation when he talked with the disciples and he's saying, we got to go to Judea, we got to go to Bethany. And they're like, whoa, Jesus, they want to kill you there. Hey, Lazarus is asleep. If he's asleep, he'll wake up. Why do we got to go there? Meaning that he's dead. And what does Thomas do? Come on, guys. If we're going to go, let's just go die with Jesus. Right, he threw it down. So he hadn't entered into the city for a purpose yet because to do the miracle, he's waiting for the right time. He, in fact, he's tearing outside the city. Let me, let me break it down a little, little prophetic, what I mean by that. Jesus is tearing right now. He hasn't come back for his church yet. He's still tearing in the midst of this age of grace when people are running around and doing their muck and their mess. He's tearing that all could come when he calls them to salvation. So God is patient that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. How has God been patient in your life in your mess? He hasn't, he hasn't come yet because he still has got more to draw in. He's patient because he doesn't want to see anybody perish. He wants to call all people unto him. We are in that age of grace. He's tearing right now because one day there's going to be a resurrection, a resurrection for all of us, though those who put their faith. So he's tearing. He's tearing for you. He's been tearing for you. It's no surprise that you're here this morning. God wants to have a divine meeting with you this morning, that he's having a divine meeting with Mary and Martha in this situation. And so he's, he's doing this, this great work. And he has this strategic plan because he knew his purpose. He knew his mission. And it was not yet time for him to die. He knows this battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So he's patient waiting outside of Bethany right now. Sometimes we call on Jesus to help us and we're trying to push him. But God says, you cannot push me. My time is everything. I operate in my time. In my way. Because Jesus is patiently waiting for the right moment to complete his mission and that is the resurrection of Lazarus. But when Mary gets this call and she suddenly gets up from her house where she's been mourning, moaning, mourning what happens? The, the other mourners are there and they see him. See her get up quickly and rush out. And we read this here that this community of comforters follow Mary in 31 and 32. It says, then, then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her 
When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep. So she gets up, they realize she's, they think she's gonna go to the tomb. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She suddenly makes an, an exit out of the house, right? And this stirs up the other mourners. Now, remember, Lazarus has been there dead in the grave for a day. So memorial service is over. Funeral service is over. All that's over. But the mourners are still there comforting this family even after they buried Lazarus. That was the custom of the day. In her grief, they think she's going to the tomb like many people go to the cemetery to bring flowers. I was with my dad uh, this week visiting him, and he goes every Friday to take flowers to my mom to the cemetery to just show her respects. And so I, I go with him to do that. There, she's, like, she's going to the tomb to show respect and, and be mindful of the need of her brother. And they're falling. These mourners are falling her, right? In fact, these mourners interrupted Mary's private moment. <laughs> Though God wants to privately interrupt it, right? These mourners have been with Mary and Martha for a few days. And yet we see Mary coming humbly before the Lord. And she falls at his feet. We always see Mary at the feet of Jesus. Yet you could go all the way back to Luke chapter 10. She's at the feet of Jesus receiving the word of God. She comes to him as a teacher, teaching her the things of God in the word of God. You are at the feet of Jesus this morning, receiving from the word from him. We see in John chapter 12, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks, she's at the feet of Jesus, or what? Anointing his feet with oil and washing it with her hair because he's going to be the suffering savior because that's where we're going into chapter 12, into the last week, into the resurrection, death and burial resurrection. And then we see him, see her at his feet right now in John chapter 11 as the empathetic Messiah. Because she's going to have a conversation right now, the same conversation that her sister had, right? Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You know what that tells me? Because that's the exact same words Martha said. When, when Jesus was in Jordan and he hadn't come to help the family, Martha and Mary talking at the house, right? Where's Jesus, man? We sent word. So in order to understand this text, you understand it, they had conversations, the two sisters, because they brought the same accusation to Jesus. They had been talking amongst each other about their emotions and feelings and, and maybe how Jesus might have even disappointed them that he had, had not come yet. How many times we have conversation with each other about Jesus? And I pray to Jesus, but he, man, he ain't delivered. But we see her at the feet of Jesus. That was his main play. God, Lord, you don't want to be here. Things would have looked differently. Things could have been different. Maybe this, there's a, even in these women of faith that have been at the feet of Jesus can falter a little bit in the moment of faith. We all have those moments, guys. Those moments of weaknesses. Those moments of, that we falter. Peter had that moment to deny Jesus three times. His disciples fled. 
They had their moment. Each of us will have those moments in our life. But they're going to still be in the game. Right? We might have those moments, but we got to get back in the game. We might falter, but we got to get back in the game. I know some of you guys are going to go with us to the Padres today, the game, and with your families. And they play a game to win a trophy. We play a game to win a crown. An eternal crown. So we have to be in the game. But as he's outside the city and they have this encounter, you have Mary there, you have the mourners outside the city. There's a change now, right? We see Jesus was emotional over the loss of his beloved friend, and now he's going to start heading into town to, to deal with Lazarus' death. We see that in 33 to 37. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin womb and an empty tomb. Listen, Jesus was both man and God. We see his humanity and his deity in the gospel. In fact, he's a high priest, of our understands our, who understands our weaknesses, for he faced all things and was tested by all things like we are, yet he did not sin. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our frailties. He understands that because he was all human, just like we were, yet was still God. He was human and the divine. And the purpose of the gospel of John, as we've been studying it, is that you would see that and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So what you're going to see in verses 33 to 35 is you're going to see the humanity of Jesus the human side of Jesus. Look at this. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus had empathy for the mourners. And we see that in verses 33 and 34. In fact, the word they're weeping means to cry out loudly, means they were lamenting loudly. They were actually screaming and they're weeping. Can you imagine that Mary comes and the mourners are falling and it's just a big, loud noise coming outside the city of the mourners crying out and weeping and expressing their emotions. And Jesus saw Mary and the mourner weeping and he was moved with empathy. There are different types of empathy today. There's a thing called cognitive empathy. That means that the ability to understand and share the feelings of under. Cognitive has to do with the mind, right? You're, you're, and then you, and then you, and then you have this cognitive feeling is, is really to understand, trying to share and trying to understand the situation. And then there's emotional empathy. We might get the word sympathy out of that, right? It's a, it's, it's feeling the sorrow for someone else's misfortune, feeling their pain in your own heart. It says that he groaned in the spirit. Groan, I mean, there was a spiritual groaning. In fact, in the, in the Greek, it means to snort like a horse. That's what the, uh, uh, that's what he's saying here, that he mourned in the spirits. In Acts 37, 34, God heard the groaning of the people and he was compelled to deliver them. Talk about those who were bound in Egypt and they were groaning and they were hurting and he heard them and he, he felt for them. We know that in Romans 8, 26, 
in our infirmities. We don't know what to pray, but the Spirit intercession for us in our groanings. Have you ever been to a place you don't even know what to pray for? And you say, ah! Have you ever done that? I have. You're groaning. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit interprets your groaning. He interprets what's inside of you. He said he groaned and he was troubled. Here means he was agitated. He was angered and restless within. What I believe Jesus is doing here is that he's, he's identifying with the pain of the people. He identifies with our pain and our suffering and our struggles. He is mourning with those who mourn. Jesus is grief-stricken and is moved with compassion. And so what does he say in response? He's groaning. Where have you laid him? He's outside to say, where have you laid him? Interesting, right? You have cognitive empathy, right? You have emotional empathy. But now you're going to have compassionate empathy, right? It's a noun. Compassionate empathy means to moves us to action, right? It's one thing to be sympathetic. I feel for you. It's another thing to move on that feeling. Come on, come on. See, compassionate empathy is actions towards something. Jesus not only was empathetic with what was going on, he understood it, he felt it. Now he was going to do something about it. Come on. See, that's the process of our grieving. The process for us, guys, is that God is just, we're going to go through grief, but what's our next move in it? Come on, come on. And Jesus is going to put faith into action here. So he made a request. Where did you lay him? Because Jesus is grieving over the loss of his beloved friend. To Martha, in her grieving, she gave her a word, I am the resurrection and the life. To Mary, he gave her tears because he gave her his heart. But now we see Jesus weeping. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. The man, the God-man, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea wept. He cried. But this weeping wasn't out of control, but the creator wept. You know, growing up, when we grew up, you're not meant to, man, you're not meant to show your feelings. Because if you show your feelings, you're weak. Nobody could see your feelings. You can't show your emotions. And so earlier we were taught not to show that. That's why men will say, how are you doing? Fine. Uh, we're one word answers. You walk by, what's up? What's up? That's all you say. We're not about showing our feelings, our emotions, or about any of those things. But we have a God that weeps. God that weeps. And he knows when we weep. And the Bible says one day he's going to wipe every tear. Men and women. That he is going to do the work of healing. Jesus, when he stood over Jerusalem, he said he wept over the town because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was weeping over the city. I think Jesus weeps over this city. Because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're people that are lost and hurting. He, he, he wept over the lost. He, he wept over the hurting. 
He wept over the overlooked. He wept over the marginalized. He wept over the unbelieving. Jesus even wept when he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. He still wept. He still showed emotions. You see the human side of Jesus. But look at, the, look at humanity's heart here. You look at humanity's heart in verse 36 and 37. The response to what they're seeing. Then the Jews, these are the ones who were mourning with Mary and Martha, said, see how he loved him? If referencing Lazarus. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? You have two types of people in this world. You have the optimist and the pessimist, right? And that's what you see in these two passages here, right? The optimist, man, like, man, he had, man, see the compassion of Jesus? The compassion is his love. He's weeping. He, he, man, his expression means he really loved Lazarus, right? In fact, the word there for love, loved him, is the Greek word phileo, means friendship love. That this was a dear friend. And, and by, Jesus, by Jesus doing this, they're giving testimony about Jesus' love for people. The Jews were. The Bible says that you'll know you're my father by your love for one another. I want to be known for our love, not our hate. And he's saying, man, his emotion is only revealing his love for his beloved friend, Lazarus. But then you have the pessimist in verse you know, 37. Man, he healed the blind man, but he couldn't raise Jesus up. Where does he represent? Remember, go all the way back to John chapter 9, that's the story of the blind man. That's what they're They would have seen, they saw the miracle of the blind man. Oh, man, you know, what's up? You know what? The pest, they always see the imperfections of every other people, right? The, the pessimists, they always see the, they always pick it, right? And they, they just have this. God could do these crazy, great miracles and lives. You guys are testimonies of great miracles. People see that and they're like, well, God's not really real. See, you know why? Because God wasn't there for me. He wasn't there for us in our situations. Let me tell why we think that way, because I think we have a wrong view of who Jesus is. Jesus ain't our genie. Three wishes and I'll answer it. Rub the tomb and boom, get three wishes. You come out of the grave and he's going to give you whatever your heart's doing. All right? This ain't Aladdin. And Jesus ain't the genie. Okay? He's not a blue guy. Okay? Because we have a wrong perspective of who Jesus is. Guys, sometimes in our prayer life, we can have an entitlement spirit. God, you owe me. You owe me. Right? We have to be careful of that spirit. God owes us nothing, but he freely gives us life. And he blesses his people and he gives it freely. And so we have to understand this. God, change my heart, oh God. Put a right spirit in me. And then Jesus makes this emotional request in 38 and 39. And Jesus said again, groaning in himself, like he's mourning, he's groaning. Came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha and the sister of him who was dead said, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus has just left the side of road outside of Bethany, is now at the tomb 
of Lazarus. He's coming. He's entered into the city, still emotional about his friend. He's at a gravesite, right? He's going to perform a gravesite service. I got a call this week. I got to do a gravesite service on Thursday. I got to do a service there. I've done a lot of gravesites. He's going to do a gravesite service here, right? Very interesting. Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. And if you go to Bethany, there is a tomb of Lazarus there. But the tomb isn't just a stone that rolls away and there's a tomb there. There's actually stairways that go down into a lower cave and they put the body and that's where it is today. So it wasn't like you open up a tomb and there's the body. It's actually was very deep into the cave down the steps. So when Jesus resurrects Lazarus, it wasn't like this, like open up and Lazarus came out all wrapped up. He was like basically walking up steps and trying to get out of the cave. It was, it was a process to get out that cave. Right? And so here he, he's making this emotional request to remove the stone. Now, I'm assuming there was probably a community of people that moved that stone because I don't think Mary and Martha maybe could have handled that by themselves. So there maybe the mourners every move. We don't know. It just says move the stone. Some thought maybe um, Jesus wanted to move the stone just to pay his last respects. You know, when you do memorial services and they have an open casket, you come to see the body. Some thought maybe Jesus just wants to see the body of his beloved friend. An open casket to say. But he'd been dead four days. And so Martha reminds him, if we open the stone up, Jesus, you know, he's been decaying for four days. He's been dead. He, he stinketh. In, in that culture, in that day, they didn't believe in embalming like the Egyptians did. They just wrapped you up and put you in a grave. So your decay would come quickly, not like our culture where we do embalming and do all the processing. You could be out for, you know, for a bit. They didn't have that process. So when they put him in a cave, he started to decay, right? But before there can any be any resurrection, there had to be a stench. And before there can be any spiritual resurrection, there is a stench. There is a stench, right? Sin leaves a stench. We have an aroma, guys. I know some, some of you might have got up this morning, took a shower, and put your fufu juice on, your cologne on, stick on. I hope you did. Because if we don't, we have a stench, right? A stench. You know what that stench is? It's our body decaying. I'm just being honest. Okay? Men have cologne. Women have perfume. Right? Uh, you know, some of us, I'm just telling like, that's just the, that's the decaying process, even as we're living. That's the decaying process. But Paul writes to the Corinthians about death and life. He says, to the one we are an aroma of death leading to death, and to the other aroma of life leading to life. We are an aroma, one to death, but one to life. But I think... He asked them to remove the stone in order to get access to the body. What, what is it that he's asking us to remove that he can get access to us? Come on, come on. What is he asking us to remove to expose our mess? What is he asking us to remove 
so he can do a cleanup work. But many of us battle, I'm going to remove that stone. Because if I remove that stone, I don't want people to see who I really am. If I, if I remove that stone, I'll be ashamed if people find out who I am. In fact, I'm going to be afraid and embarrassed if they find out who I am. And you might just feel that way, but God gives us a promise. He said, if you do this, you'll never be put to shame. That's my promise to you. See, the enemy wants to shame you. He wants to keep you in the tomb. He wants to keep you dead. He wants to keep you bound. But there is a prerequisite for cleaning. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he asked Martha and the people to roll the stone away. They asked him to roll the stone away. But later, Jesus will roll the stone away on our behalf. And so this is leading up to the miracle. Jesus' miracles always have a purpose. They always have a purpose. We see that in 40 and 40 as we close this, this part of the text off. You know, I, I doing a sem I'm doing a, a ceremony at a cemetery this week. Cemeteries make most people feel uneasy. They remind us of death and the loss of loved ones, but cemeteries need not drive us to tears and fill us with fears. In fact, the final resting place has been so named to help us see the bigger picture, to help us understand that it is not our final resting place after all. In fact, the word cemetery actually means sleeping chambers. Jesus often referred to the death as sleep. He woke Jairus' daughter who was asleep. He woke the son of Nain's son who was asleep and Lazarus from their sleep. We're just passing through. That's all that is. And so what he's going to do here as he's at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus is going to remind Martha and Mary of his purpose. Look at it, says this. Jesus said to her, now he's speaking to Martha, did I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory? See, glory of God. That's the song we sang about. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. First of all, he said, Martha, I'm reminding you to listen. You're not listening to me. I'm reminding you to listen. Did I not say to you, are you listening to me? Are you paying attention? Are you here this morning listening and paying attention? Are you acting like your kids? Because your kids have a short attention span. Come on. When you ask them to do something and they say they're going to do it, but then they don't do it. And then you ask them why they didn't do it and where they say, I don't know. Like they're brain dead. Like they have amnesia. They have a disease of dumbness. Listen, come on. You all laugh because you have the same disease. God is speaking to you, and are you listening? Several times in the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, he says, I'm going to show you my glory. He's not dead. He's not asleep. He'll raise. He says that. We see that in verse 4, 15, and 23. He's already said it. 
Remind them, and they're not listening. They're not catching it. That's why we do communion every Sunday, because sometimes we just don't get it. He reminded Martha about her faith. If you would believe, what was the purpose of the story to strengthen their faith? It's the same thing for us. I love Tony Evans said this. Jesus didn't want her explanation about bodily decay. He wanted her to walk by faith. And faith is acting like God is telling the truth. See, when you move the stone, Mary, you guys, now you're showing me faith. It's an action. Faith is an action word. And then he reminded Martha of his purpose. You would see the glory of God. Right? Our part is to walk by faith. The glory of God is God's part, right? God's part is to reveal his, his glory. We will never see God's supernatural miracles apart from faith. We have to take steps, action steps, faith steps. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but by faith we're going to move forward and God will meet our faith. That's how I've always walked. When, when Julie and I, we started, the team of us started this church, it'll, actually today is 14-year birthday, October. We just stepped out by faith no money, no nothing, meeting in my backyard, starting like that with humble beginnings, and we're going to say, God, we're gonna, you're going to meet our faith, is that we just want to tell people about Jesus. And that's all we did, and it grew from there. And you're the fruit of what we see here. Here, downstairs, we're watching downstairs, and online, and in Encanto, and more is to come in Ethiopia, Uganda. The fruit. You know, you have thousands of believers in Africa that are part of New Vision family. You don't even know. They have that. 50 churches out there. India. I want you to remind you, Martha, my purpose. You're going to see God's glory. And then Jesus prays for that purpose. Look at 41 and 42. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus is more than able to move that stone, but put Martha in the community in a place where they can grow in their faith. God will, you want to walk by faith and learn about faith? God will put you in positions of faith to do that very thing. You want to see the glory of God? You want to see the miracles of God? Then God will put you in places where you can see his glory and his miracle. Notice he said this, and they took away the stone. They was plural. They took away the stone. They assisted with removing the stone. There's a community of people that, that obeyed Jesus' command. See, our gathering today as a community of faith is to grow in our faith together. That's why Hebrews says that, let us not consider one another to stir up love and good works, for not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more you see the day approaching. You cannot be a believer, a part of the church gathering. Well, pastor, you don't really have to go to church to be a leave of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, do not forsake the fellowship. That's the community by which we grow in. Can you be alone and have service? Absolutely. I know a lot of pastors do home churches and they gather in the homes. I know pastors do churches in parks. They gather in parks. I know pastors do churches under bridges. It's still a church. They're still gathering to grow, to learn. 
But here Jesus is having a, a gravesite service where two or more gathered. God is present. There were more than two in that, in that moment at that gravesite. And he's lifting up this prayer before them. Jesus first gives thanks to his father. Thank you that you heard me. Jesus is looking to the heavens. He lifted up his eyes. He said, Father, thank you that you hear me. You know what? Maybe we should open up our prayers that way. Father, thank you that you hear me. We have a God that bends an ear. We have a God that listens. Jesus was fully confident in his prayers because he lifted up his eyes heaven and, was, and he, was, he was a heavenly-minded man. He knew that he had the ears of his father because God has a listening ear. And then he begins to pray with a purpose, right? God, you're consistent. You always hear me. This was his son's experience with the father. When we pray, we pray to the Father in the Spirit, in Jesus' name. The Trinity is involved in our prayer. And he's confident that God the Father is listening to him. We could be confident that God is listening to us. And we could pray with purpose. We have to pray with purpose. And that purpose was, as I lift up my voice, and see the glory, God, that these people watching, these mourners, Mary, Martha, the mourner, the community, the people in Bethany that are right here at the gravesite would believe in you. They would believe and be saved. Hebrews 7, 5 says this, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. God is always praying for us. And then Jesus cried out, with a purpose to raise Lazarus, 43 and 44. It says, now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had did die came out bound and hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. It says he cried out with a loud voice. You know what? I believe he cried out with authority. God had given him authority. Do you know that in Matthew 20, it says, all authority has been given unto me? And then we come to faith that God gives us the authority? That, the, that at the garden, God had authority, and then the enemy, the enemy fell, and God had given him authority to oversee, and the enemy came and took that authority away? And then Jesus had to come back and die and resurrect again and take that authority back? And then when he came back, by faith you come, and he's given you that authority. He's given you power. He's given you authority. We, some of us don't know how to, what that means. And he cried out with authority. And I love this because he used Lazarus's name because if he did it, he could have raised that whole dang cemetery. He had to call it by name. You know, I, I, here's a little side note, guys. In John 5, 8, it says this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. So if he calls out and he didn't use Lazarus, man, maybe there would have been a whole flood of, but Jesus had done this once before, right? Go all the way back, right, to when Jesus was put on to death in Matthew 27, 52 and 53. And when he yielded up his spirit and the curtains of the Holy Holies ripped in half, the scripture says this, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they're coming out of the graves after his resurrection and they went into this holy city and appeared to many. Come on now. Uncle Bob just died a week ago. Jesus dies, resurrects, and Uncle Bob's knocking at your door that you just buried a week ago. That's freaky. Listen, man, God has the power to resurrect. And people have seen this over 
and over and over. Then Lazarus, the brother, appears before Mary and Martha and the bystanders in his grave clothes. We see that in verse 44, right? He staggered up those stairs in the grave. I like John's description of the story because he says, the one who resurrects, the one who was dead. He wanted to make sure people understood that this wasn't a resuscitation, but it was a resurrection, and there's a difference. They didn't do CPR on Lazarus to resuscitate him. He was dead, and he raised from the grave. And he came out res restricted by his grave clothes. He looked like a mummy. His body was wrapped, and he even said his head was wrapped, and then his body was wrapped. Jesus gave instruction and command to his followers. Loosen him and let him go. Listen. Jesus told the people to move the stone. He's prepping the work through his people, right? The people had to move the stone, but he, that's a prep work for Jesus to do the resurrection. And then what happens when, when he calls Lazarus, he comes out of the grave, and then he says, now loosen him. I want you to do the aftercare. God does the transformation. He does the resurrection. We do the prep work and the after, aftercare, right? In fact, the grave clothes are representative of our own nature, our dead nature, our bounty nature, our sin nature. And the community of faith is to help break that bondage of the past. Listen. Some of you have come to faith, but you're still struggling with your past. You still have some strongholds in you. You still have some things that God wants to break in you. He wants to loosen you. And there's people here that will come alongside you to pray for you, to come and be with you, to come walk with you. Jesus said, bury one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. Some of you have some deep-rooted wounds that God needs to go and deepen and heal. He told them to unbandage them, unbandage Lazarus, who was stinking but now is alive. Right? We might stink a little bit still, but God is going to clean that mess up. And we're as a community are going to help clean and walk with each other. We don't clean up. God cleans us, but we're the, the nurses and, and the people that assist the great physician and the unbinding of the wounds. What was the purpose in all this of the miracle? Is that people would believe and not be fearful of death. We're going to jump into 40. I want to read 45, but we'll get into this more detail next week. And then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things, Jesus did, believed in him. Believed in him. Jesus' miracle was to build faith and remove the fear of death from those who believed. Some of you are fearful of death today. But Hebrew says this, and as much as then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, came in the flesh, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. This is his purpose. That is the devil. Here, listen to this. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Guys, we don't need to fear death because Jesus defeated death. He defeated death that we might have life and abundantly. 
So I'm going to remind you with these three things. Number one, Jesus calls us to himself during our grief. Jesus calls us to himself during our grief. The second thing this morning, Jesus is empathetic with our grief, so we see his humanity. We see God, the human side of God. He understands who we are. Lastly, Jesus is the healer, so we see his divinity, the God-man, to prove that he is God, that he is the one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace. Lord, I come humbly before your throne this morning as we just looked at your word. Lord, I pray you do a work in your people right now, Lord. If you're here this morning and there's something that needs to be broken in you, and you feel bound like Lazarus, you need a healing or you need something that's stronghold that you seem you can't just overcome, and maybe you feel that this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something because I want to pray over you and the community wants to pray over you. If you're struggling with it, I want you to stand up right now because we're going to ask for breaking and healing right now. And I know it's a fearful thing, but if you want to stand up, I see you, 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 I see you. Yeah. God's not here to put you to shame. God's here to heal you this morning. I see you. God wants to do this work in you right now. I see you up top. I see you. I don't need to know what it, we don't need to know what that is, but God knows what it is. Saints, this is what I want you to do. Saints, wherever you may be, get up out of your seat near someone, put your hands on them right now so we can pray over them. There's people here. Up top, up bottom, saints, put your, there's people around you, put your hands on. Pastors, leaders, I want you to get up and get your hands on people. And put, we're going to pray right now. God would do this healing process that he would unbind through the life, through the body this morning, would do the healing that he needs to do in the work of families and marriages and relationships and children, and whatever it is that you're about. I'm going to pray right now that God will loosen the bondages. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come humbly before you this morning. You have your sheep. You have your people standing before you, Lord, unashamed, Lord, to come to the great physician, the healer this morning, Lord, the one who resurrected Lazarus and the one who said, loosen his garments that bound him. I pray right now, Lord, you know what that is to these individuals. You know what needs to be broken. You know what needs to be healed. You know what needs to be destroyed. You know what needs to be defeated right now. So I pray by your Holy Spirit, you go down deep into their roots, into their soul, and deliver and uproot those very things in their lives, Lord, that are holding them back, keeping them from success, keeping them from their walk with you, that maybe they even feel like there's a wall between you and them, Lord. I pray right now, shatter that wall. Lord, the enemy has no authority whatsoever. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come now asking for healing in their lives, for victory in their lives. Lord, they'll be able to stand with a righteous faith because they're coming humbly before the throne. Father, it's at the altar they come this morning because at the altar you alter our lives. And so we come now humbly before you. Lord, we pray that the enemy has no authority in their life. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He's, a, he's, a, he, he's Beelzebub, a Lucifer. He comes by many names. He's a seeker to kill, seek, and destroy. But Father, you say, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Father, we have a, a divine nature. 
We have a divine power. You've given us all authority. And Father, I pray right now that these individuals who are standing here, Lord, would walk in that authority right now. That, Father, you equip them everything they need for godliness. You, you totally give them your spirit. God, you live in them now by faith. And darkness and light cannot be together. And so I'm praying victory right now. Lord, I'm praying a release right now. I'm praying your Holy Spirit would come on them now, Lord believing that you're more than able by faith in Jesus name we pray and everybody said thanks again for joining us contact us or learn more at our website newvision.city see you next time